0: Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of Exodus Church, located in Belmont, North Carolina. For more information about our church and the many ways you can be involved, please go to our website at theexoduschurch.org or email us at info at Man, I'm so excited to be here today with you guys. Uh, take your Bible, and you're going to need to turn to two places Exodus 40, uh, which is toward the front, and then Acts chapter 2, and that's where we're going to spend the bulk of our time. Uh, but I want us to get there. there. There's so much work has been done to get us to this point. Um, and as I've been thinking about, there's this ongoing theme throughout the Bible that starts in the Old Testament and carries all the way into the New, reaches this sort of climax in Acts chapter 2. And this this is the ongoing theme, that there are things we can do, okay? There are things we can do, and then there are things only God can do. For instance, we can pray, but only God can bring life-changing action. We can share our faith. Only God can save a soul. We can love our neighbors. Only God can change a heart. There are things we can do, and there are things only God can do. Now, now when I say there are things we can do, now certainly we need to understand that the only way we can do those things is with the breath God supplies, with the strength he gives, with, with the gifts and talents he's blessed us with. So it would really be better to say it this way. There are things that by God's grace we can do, But there are even things that we can't do even with his grace. There there are things that he has set apart that he and he alone can do. There are things we can do by his grace, and then there are things that we can't do. And this theme is throughout all the Old Testament into the New Testament. So in Exodus 40, for instance... In Exodus 40, uh, kind of the the context of the story is God's people have been delivered from Egypt. They didn't deserve that. They didn't earn that. But they were delivered by God's mighty hand, brought into relationship with him, and he tells them what it means to be his people one of the things that he commands them to do is to build a thing called a tabernacle and this would be a, a place that would be in the midst of the people where god's presence would dwell and and the tabernacle would would uh, would be a, a way they could sacrifice for their their sin and it would point to jesus all kinds of things going on there and and chapters 35 to 39 are all the people doing all the things necessary for the tabernacle to be constructed And all that's been done. And then we get to chapter 40, and God tells Moses to put all that together. He's got to, they've built all the stuff. Now it's time to put it together. And it says in verse 16, this Moses did according to all that the Lord commanded him. So he did. So God tells Moses, put it together. He does it. And then in verse 33, we read this. He erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar and he set up the screen of the gate of the court. So Moses finished the work. Moses had done all Moses could do. Moses had done all God commanded him to do. There was nothing more Moses could do. There was something only God could do. Look at verse 34. It says, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. There were things Moses could do. He could arrange furniture. He could put things up where they're supposed to go, but he could not bring glory. There are things we can do. There are things only God can do. And then you fast forward to 2 Chronicles 6 where God's people have been uh, moving around throughout the, the, the wilderness on their way to the promised land. They, they get beyond the set up, tear down of the tabernacle and they built a temple. And this temple was to be the same thing, a place where God could dwell and a place where the, the gospel, uh, the goodness of God could be declared and demonstrated. Years of labor, huge amounts of resources and again, there's things we can do. There's things only God can do. And in verse, chapter 5, verse 1, we read this, Thus all the work that Solomon did for the house of the Lord was finished. And then in chapter 6, verse 14, Solomon prays and says, O Lord God of Israel, there's no God like you in heaven or on earth, keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart. And when all the work had been done for the temple... This is what we read in chapter seven, verse one. As soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple and the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. And Solomon was a gifted leader. In fact, it says that he was one of the wisest men to ever live, gifted leader. And there are things he can do and there are things he cannot do. Throughout the Old Testament, we see this kind of theme. There are things we can do, certainly by God's grace and with his power, but there are things we cannot do. We can build a tabernacle. We can construct a temple. We can restore a mill. But there are things only God can do. Only God can bring glory. And that same truth continues to this day. Now, to be very, very clear There is no one-to-one correlation between a temple, a tabernacle, and this building, okay? This, This building is not a church. It's a mill. And in fact, we don't plan to refer to it as the Exodus church. We're planning to call it the Exodus mill because this is not the church. This is. The church is the people of God. That's the church. This, this is a building. And man, we are so grateful to have a place where we can gather. But this building is not a church. This is a mill. This is the church. The people of God. I remember when I was growing up, I was, uh, very, I was very big and very clumsy, Okay, which is not a good combination. And I remember one Sunday, I was running around the church building. And this sweet, sweet lady walks up to me and says, son, there's no running in the Lord's house. Now, there were reasons for her to tell me not to run in a building. Most of it was probably her being afraid that I was going to fall and hurt her, okay? Which, if I'd run into her, it would not have gone well for her, okay? But I was also a Christian at that time. I just didn't know better. And um, this, the reality in that moment is not that I was running in the Lord's house. The reality in that moment is that was the Lord's house running, you understand? Like, as Christians, the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of us. We are God's house, not a building. Okay? And so, God doesn't dwell in this place. This is a mill. Man, it's a beautiful building, but it's not God's house. The church is. And yet, there's a helpful reminder in principle in this ongoing theme in the Bible that. There are things we can do. We can, man, we can do beautiful things together. But there are things we can't do. We cannot bring glory. And after all our work is finished, after all of it is finished, we have to come to God and say, God, would you do what you and you alone can do? Because only God can bring glory. And that's what happens in Acts chapter 2. So if you'll flip over there, Acts chapter 2, this is, uh, it says in verse 1, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Now, Pentecost was 50 days after Passover. Now, that's important because Passover was when Jesus was crucified, buried, and raised from the grave. So this is just 50 days later from that incredible moment in human history. Just 50 days after Jesus is crucified, buried, and raised from the dead. During that time, Jesus has ascended to the Father with the promise that one day he would return. And the followers of Jesus, it says, are all gathered in one place, and then God brings glory. Look at verse 2. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a, a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So God brings glory. Like They they didn't manufacture this. This wasn't special effects. I was actually at a church one time where the pastor thought it'd be a good idea that when he was reading that verse to turn on some fans. I was like, bro, that is the dumbest thing. I've ever heard in my entire life. They did not manufacture this. This is God's glory descending in this moment. And it says that they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. Now listen, y'all just calm down a minute, all right? If some of you are like, whoa, what are we about to talk about here? Okay, we're we're gonna get there because this, this speaking in tongues, number one, they're known languages, okay? We're gonna see that here in the next part. Second, um, you are not required to do this in order to be saved. There are some branches of uh, our Christian family that teach that in order to be saved, you have to do this. And that would be like also saying, to be saved, you have to have the gift of leadership or serving or giving. Okay, This is not required to be saved. This is a, this is a unique moment in the history of God's people where God is saying, I have come for a people from every tribe and tongue and nation. And so when the glory of God descends on these people, they start speaking in tongues. They are known languages. And look what happens in verse 5. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Do you see what's happening here? God's glory descends that the Christians start speaking in languages that are known in the world so that they can hear the goodness and gospel of God. And that's what we see here. In verse 11, it says, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. That's what's happening here. God's glory descends, and they hear the mighty works of God. Now, some people are interested, verse 12, and all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? And then others were mocking. And they said, man, they are filled with new wine. In other words, they're drunk. And so Peter responds to both of those people in verse 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. His response is, it's only nine in the morning. They couldn't be drunk yet. That's his response. And what he's wanting them to understand is that this is God. Like God is dropping glory on his church. That's what's happening here. And when that happens, we see three things in the rest of the chapter. When God brings glory, we see three things. When God brings glory, the gospel is declared. When God brings glory... The gospel is declared. Now, Peter's going to give them some context for what's going on and how this is fulfilling Old Testament prophecy. And then when we get to verse 22, he's getting right to Jesus. Look at verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus. Delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. The cross was not God's plan B. The cross was God's plan A. To give his one and only son so that sinners might be forgiven. That was his plan A, not his plan B. And he says this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. It says, look, God, this was God's plan and it was your action. What Peter declares in this gospel is the centrality of Jesus. Death in our place for our sin. But his death was not the end. Look at verse 24. God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And what what we need to see here, church, is that when God's glory, when God brings glory, the gospel is declared and the central piece of that gospel is Jesus and him crucified. Now, as I've been thinking about the importance of this day and what I would share, because we don't get another shot to do this, right? That we get one first day in the mill. So I've, I've been thinking a lot about what, we would want to say. One of my favorite preachers is a guy named Charles Spurgeon. And on the day that they dedicated the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London, this was in 1861, during his first sermon in that facility, he said this. It's going to be on the screen. I would propose, and oh, may the Lord grant us grace to carry out that proposition from which no Christian can dissent. I would propose that the subject of the ministry of this house as long as this platform shall stand and as long as this house shall be frequented by worshipers, shall be the person of Jesus Christ. And may it be church. The most important day of that is not this day. The most important day is the last day. That that from now until Jesus returns or calls us all home, that the person of Jesus Christ would be the main subject of the ministry of this house. And that's what I want. That's what Spurgeon wanted. And then he says this later, and this is so Spurgeon. If you've never read Spurgeon, I would encourage you to. Here's what he says. And may I add my own sincere desire that this place may become a hissing and the abode of dragons. Now, if you're like, ooh, I'd love to see a dragon, that's not what he meant to say. (laughs) All right? What he's saying is, may this place be a place where nobody would want to go. And this pulpit be burned with fire. That's pretty clear. If, any other, if ever any other gospel is preached here than that which we have received from the holy apostles of God, of which Jesus Christ himself is the chief cornerstone. Exodus. When God brings glory, the gospel is declared, and Jesus has to be the center. When God brings glory, the gospel is declared. When God brings glory, the gospel is declared. And when God brings glory, the gospel is demonstrated. Look at verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those were being saved. Now, I want to remind you, because sometimes we can think this way, this is not a small church doing this. It says in verse 41 that there were 3,000 souls added this day. So this is a large group of people demonstrating the gospel. Because God's glory, when God's glory comes, the gospel is declared, but it's also got to be demonstrated. And what we see here are disciples who are devoted to the teaching of God's word. Disciples who are devoted to prayer, to, to worship, to a sense of family. To generosity. And when God's glory, when God brings glory, the gospel is both declared in our doctrine and demonstrated in our culture. And we got to have both for the church to be beautiful. We got to have both for for the church to be beautiful, Not, not the church, the church to be beautiful. One of my favorite writers is Francis Schaeffer, and he wrote this about gospel doctrine and gospel culture. He says this, one cannot explain the explosive dynamite or power of the early church, apart from the fact that they practiced two things simultaneously. Orthodoxy of doctrine and orthodoxy of community in the midst of the visible church, a community which the world could see. He says, by by the grace of God, therefore, the church must be known simultaneously for its purity of doctrine and the reality of its community. He says, our churches have so often been only preaching points with very little emphasis on community. But the exhibition of the love of God in practice is beautiful and must be there. Exodus, when, when God brings glory, the gospel will be declared. And the gospel will be demonstrated. And we've got to have both for the church to be beautiful and compelling. We've got to have both for the church to be beautiful. Now, look, it's still messy. Like The church is messy. I've said before, if you find a perfect church, leave it alone. Because we will mess it up. I mean, the the church is, is messy. It's a messy people, but it's a precious people. It's a precious people. And we are, not, <laughs> we are not anywhere close to a perfect church. But we're precious people on the side of God because Jesus died for those who believe. And that's the only reason we're precious. But it's a good reason that Jesus died so that we could belong to him. So when God brings glory, the gospel is declared, gospel is demonstrated, and then lastly, when God brings glory, people respond. Now, people respond to both the declaration and the demonstration of the gospel. When, when Peter stands up and declares that Jesus died and rose again, people respond. And when the church is living as a community of faith, it says that they added to their number daily. So both times people respond. But let's look at how we respond to the declaration of the gospel. Look at verse 36. Verse 36. At the end of Peter's sermon, he says, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you've crucified. And he says this, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. they had heard the gospel and something happened in their heart, like God's spirit cut to their heart, it says. And they said, to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent. Now, repent's a Bible word. We don't use repent very often in our normal language, but it means to turn around. It means I was headed this way, and I need to change my thought, my attitude, my action. It's what repent means. I was going this way, living life my way, doing my thing. I was Lord of my life. And now I've heard that we know for certain that Jesus is both Lord and Christ. I need to repent of seeing myself as lord of my life. I need to turn and see Jesus as lord of my life. He's Lord and Christ. That means savior. I need to repent of thinking I save myself and I need to turn and admit that I can't save myself. Only Christ can save me. And he says, "What they say, brothers, what shall we do? Repent." Turn. Now, that repentance doesn't earn anything. it's uh, It's not something that God gives us to do that we earn his grace with. But when we hear the gospel, our first response is repentance. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, when it talks about being baptized there, baptism there is not um, something you do to merit forgiveness. It's something you do as an expression, uh, what some have called a public profession of your faith in Jesus Christ. You're saying to the watching world, I've repented of seeing myself as Lord and Savior. Now Jesus is my Lord and Savior, and I want to proclaim that to the watching world. And when God brings glory, the gospel is declared and it's all about Jesus. The gospel is demonstrated and it's all about Jesus. And when we hear it declared and see it demonstrated, we respond. We respond because God brings glory. Um, Earlier in the video, you saw some pictures of what this building used to look like and this room and other rooms in it. And you see what what a group of people can do to take a a, a building from what it was to make it what it is now. And and I want to tell you, there's some parts of this building that haven't been touched. They're not not real pretty. And sometimes I wonder if we think that in our lives, there are parts of us that haven't been touched yet. Um, There are parts of us that, that are that are hidden and dark, and we don't want anybody to know about it. There are parts of us that um, we think that if anybody knew about that place, they would no longer love me, they would no longer want to be around me, I would be rejected and alone if people knew about that. And the good news of the gospel is that there's no part of you that God doesn't know about. There's never coming a day when God looks at you and says, That's new. I didn't know that. See, the the good news of the gospel is that God knows everything about you. He knows every action, every attitude, every desire, every thought. And he loves you fully, and he loves you freely. And because of Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, he loves you forever. And so you don't have to get yourself all cleaned up and lots of white paint and, and all your, you, you don't have to do that. You, you bring, you bring your, your brokenness and your sin and your shame to Jesus. He knows about it already. He loves you in it. And he promises that through Jesus Christ, you can receive the forgiveness that comes from him. When God brings glory, the gospel is declared. When God brings glory, the gospel is demonstrated. And when God brings glory, people respond. And what a glorious thing it would be that on this day, you would respond to the gospel. That Jesus Christ died in your place for your sin not for you to earn something, but for you to receive a gift that can only be received by faith. So don't, don't, man, don't leave here thinking, I've got to be better. No, you you got to surrender. you got to surrender your attempt to be better and receive what you can't earn, the gift that comes from Jesus Christ alone. And so, Man, Exodus, as we gather in this place, there are things we can do. We can sing, we can pray, we can do lots of things. There are things we cannot do. There are things only God can do. And only God can bring glory. And so I want that reminder to drive us to our knees in prayer. That we would be a people who pray who ask God to do what only God can do in our lives and in the life of our church. And so in a moment, we're going to pause. And I know many of you are guests with us today, and you might feel awkward with some of the silence. Um, but I want us to pray. And I don't want you to listen to me pray. I want us to pray together. If you want to pray out loud, do that. If you want to pray with someone, do that. If you want to kneel at your chair, do that. I just... What I want us to do, I want us to pray and ask God to do what only God can do, because there's things we can do, and there are things only God can do, and so let's pray together. Let's pray. Lord, so many people have worked so hard to get us to this day. It feels like, like Moses and like Solomon, they finished the work in so many areas, and and, yet, and Lord, we've prayed. We've asked you to do what you alone can. And, and Lord, we ask you to fill not this place, but this people with glory. Um, Lord, thank you that Exodus has never been a place, but Exodus is, seeks to be a redeemed people who worship God and serve you in the world. And I pray, Lord, I pray, Lord, that would be the case, and that you would fill us with glory such that we declare the goodness of the gospel and we demonstrate the goodness of the gospel and that people would see would see you and respond. Lord, we ask we ask that you would that you would guard this people such that every time a redeemed people gather in this restored place that the gospel of Jesus Christ would be heralded with conviction and clarity. That the person of Jesus Christ would always be the subject of this place and this people. And Lord, that you would bring glory here, that we would see lives changed in this room, that we would see lives changed as the gospel is declared and demonstrated in this place and through this people. We ask that you would do that for your glory alone. Lord, this is not for our glory, as Pastor Ben prayed earlier, not to us, but to your name be glory now and forevermore, Lord God. We ask that you would do that for your glory alone. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.